Carolina, you're watching My Fellow Americans with your host, Spike Cohen. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for coming. Thank you. I'm clapping for you. Thank you so much. Clap if you believe. Clap for the miracle. How would we know that you wanted the miracle? If you didn't keep clapping, welcome to my fellow Americans. I am literally Spike Cohen. I am so happy to have you here with me, Spike Cohen, uh, this Wednesday, the 27th, uh, the year of our Lord, 2019. February, the, the year is our 2019 is one sixth over already, if that's not scary. By the way, I am still retroactively leaving negative people behind in 2018, so don't, don't play with me. Um, this is a Muddied Waters Media production. Check us out on Facebook, YouTube, on Instagram, or on SoundCloud, Twitter, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. We're on a bunch of different stuff. Check us out, Muddied Waters Media. Be sure to share this video now. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, I want you to watch this live minimum one hour libertarian agitprop podcast with me. I'd be so happy that you did that. Uh, be sure to share the gift of Spike Cohen with a loved one today. Kids love it. I would like to thank Kroger for this delicious purified drinking water that I drink on this in every episode of My Fellow Americans, Bula Vinaka. The intro and outro music to this and every episode of My Fellow Americans is from the amazing and talented Mr. Joe Davi. That's J-O-D-A-V-I. Check him out on Facebook, on SoundCloud. Go to his band camp. He has a band camp. I think it's a website. Go to that. Buy all of his music. You'll be so happy you did. Thank you again to Mr. Joe Davi. Shout out to Tehran Turks, his mom and him as always. Guys, my guest tonight needs no introduction, but I'm going to do it anyway because this is a standard part of my show and I am severely OCD. Uh, He is a father, a husband. He is a businessman and a consultant. He is also one of the most prominent names in the Libertarian Party. Uh, He uh, ran for governor of New York in this last election cycle, and he is considered by many, many people are saying that he is the front runner to be the libertarian candidate for president in 2020. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Mr. Larry Sharp. Larry, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Welcome from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, otherwise known as the New Yorker refugee camp. Uh, We're glad to have you. Yes, I know. Too many of my New Yorkers leave. Over, (laughs) as I've been saying throughout my campaign, over 100,000 of us leave every single year. And we're going to North Carolina, South Carolina, Florida, Arizona, every place not New York. We are out of here. There's no tomorrow. Every place that is not New York, right. We have lost about a million people in the last eight eight years. And if you look at that- staggering. Yes, most states wouldn't exist. Like Arizona, I mean, Arizona, Alaska would be empty. Right. Right. Wyoming would be empty. There'd be no one there if, that, if they lost that many people. That I mean, we insane. just keep losing people. And you wonder why, you know, people keep leaving. It's it's a chicken and egg thing, right? As as more people leave, 
but our tax bill keeps rising, you can't lower taxes. It's imp- it's math, right. right? Right. If the tax bill gets higher and the number of people paying gets smaller, we're raising our taxes. And it just keeps happening. So more people keep leaving and then there's le- less opportunity and it keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. It's It's a bad cycle. Well, we're going to talk about how to end that today. And uh, guys, be sure to comment with your questions and thoughts. Uh, and Larry and I will tell you if you're right or wrong. Now, Larry, the first thing that I ask uh, uh, new guests when they come on to my show for the first time is how you came about your political le- beliefs. And uh, would you say it was like an aha moment or more of an evolution over time? Tell us about that. No, people ask me this question often. And, and I'm the oddball when it comes to most people who are prominent in any way, shape, or form in the liberty movement. I didn't come here through politics. I came here through business. So what was actually happening in my world was I was I thought politics was useless. At, at After 2008, I thought politics was totally useless. I bounced around from Democrats, Republicans. I had supported people who just weren't the two. I was like, Nader is awesome because he's not them. Perot is awesome because he's not them. And at no point could I have actually told you any of their policies. Uh, If you had asked me in 2000, what's Nader's policy? I would have said, uh, he's not a Democrat Republican. That's that's and that's good enough for me. Right. I, I could have told you what his policies were. Right, and to swing from, from Perot to Nader is, is quite a <laughs> – that's quite a Well, a, a it move. isn't if you just want to rebel. That's a good point. Right? If you right. just want to rebel, it's the perfect line. That's a right? good point. Right, and that's yeah. all I was doing. I wanted to not be them. And it's the perfect line because the only guy who was out there in the 90s was, was Perot and a guy in 2000 was Nader. So that was my guy. Those were my guys because of that. Right. So that's kind of how I thought. But what was happening is – I was kind of giving up already. I had moved towards a liberty kind of thought process because of an author by the name of Robert Ringer. Most people don't know who he is. But if you're in the business world, he wrote several books. Uh, Looking Out for Number One, uh, Action, okay, yeah. Nothing Happens unless some, Until Someone Moves. Um, he wrote To Be or Not to Be Intimidated. And he wrote many books on how to move your business forward, realizing real people, realizing what's happening, and, and philosophy in the world. Now, he's an objectivist. I'm not objectivist, but he is. And that kind of brought me to the world of the, the, the smaller government, more individual concepts. I never became an objectivist ever, but I began to read some of those books because he is the one who told me that I should read them. Not personally. I was writing his, I was uh, reading his blogs and that kind of thing. Atlas Shrugged so, and things like that. Absolutely. So that's how I got right. to that world by doing that. So, but I wasn't political. 2012. Uh, I've been running my business for eight years. In my business, at the same time, by following his ideas, I was already teaching post-industrial leadership. Post-industrial leadership, I'm a leadership trainer. I'm a business coach, an executive coach. Uh, I, I teach at colleges, Columbia. I've taught at Yale. teaching at Baruch all the time. So I was teaching post-industrial leadership, which is the idea that it's not about just doing what your boss tells you. This isn't factory work anymore. I need to get people who are who can give me initiative, who can give me imagination, who can get things done things done b- without me telling them. Right. This right, right. requires someone to want to do the job. This requires non-force. This requires someone to want to be there. Right. So I was teaching this philosophy already, not knowing it was libertarianism. <laughs> so all of a sudden I, I hear Gary Johnson speak in 2012 and Gary Johnson being an entrepreneur like I was, right. being a business guy like I was, he is someone I could hear. Right? The other guys I had already turned off. I was like, I don't, they're all politicians. 
I couldn't hear them. Even though now I listen to Ron Paul and go, oh, he's saying some good stuff. When he was talking in 2008, in my eyes, he was another politician, so I couldn't hear him. He was another Republican, just, yeah. Right. So I couldn't hear him. But I could hear Gary Johnson, and that's what brought me to the movement. But when Gary Johnson came on, uh, when I heard him, I supported him. I thought, this guy's good. He's, he's saying things that make sense. That's what got me into the party. But to be forward then, I didn't really know what libertarians were. I was like, what are you, librarians, he said? These guys are librarians? I had no idea what he was talking about, right? So right. I actually went to the party, started talking to people, and realized, oh, these are regular people. These are, are people who just want to be left alone. These are people right. who just you know, want to – they want to be righteous because it's right to be righteous, right. not because government tells them to be righteous. And I think that was a, a very eye-opening for me. So that's when I, I came on board. I supported Gary Johnson in 2012. And I became more active in a party in 2013, 2014. I joined my local party, I think, here in Queens and then uh, Manhattan because I live in Queens, but I work in Manhattan. So I joined both parties. Uh, then I joined the state party. And then eventually I joined um, the national party. I'm a lifetime member of the national, of the national party now. Hmm. And so I also then supported uh, Michael McDermott, who ran for governor in 2014 here in uh, New York. I literally traveled the state with him when I could. I took time off. Being a consultant, I could take time off. So... so I traveled the state with him in 2014. I supported Gary Johnson in 2016. I stepped in for him many times in the press. I stepped in for him in debate stages and local debates and such. So I supported him in 2016. And I also supported Alex Merced here in New York in 2016. I ran for the VP slot in 2016, the Libertarian Party. For those of you who don't know, the Libertarian Party does not allow the presidential ticket to pick his running mate. The Libertarian right. Party does two separate elections. And they run for each. I ran for the VP slot. And I lost to Bill Weld by 31 votes. Not that anyone's counting 31 votes. No one, who cares, right? 31 votes. So not that I'm counting, but I lost I lost that slot. But to show that I am about the movement and not about me, after I lost that, I literally that night went and raised over $100,000 for the party. Right? Wow. That's it. So, and I supported the ticket completely, uh, totally. But after 2016, I knew there'd be a problem because I knew we'd be lacking a focus. We'd be lacking leadership. We'd be lacking that figurehead. There are too many libertarians who believe that people should come to the party because of the principles. Right. That's not why people come to the party. Right, right, They right. often stay because of the principles right. and are encouraged by the principles, but they come because they hear some guy or gal say something that seems to make sense. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. And some guy or gal says something that seems to make sense. Then they go, oh, huh. Let me go check these guys out. And I knew that after 2016, we'd have very few of those. So I decided I'd be one of them. So that's why I would have to do that. And that's why I ran in 2018. But I began my campaign in 2017. So I took a year and a half off. I didn't work for a year and a half. I just didn't go with a paycheck for a year and a half. And I ran across New York State. And I covered every single county at 62 counties in an 18, almost 19 million person state. That's a big deal, big task. Yeah. And, and I got ballot access in a year where third parties got their asses kicked across, across the country. Yep. And uh, our last time we ran, we got 16,000 votes across a 19 million person state. I got over 100,000. And, and you got you you got the threshold for uh, automatic ballot, ballot access. access next time, right? New York State is a very strange state. New York State, the only way to gain ballot access is to run a gubernatorial candidate and to get more than 50,000 votes on your line. Okay. And that matters because in New York State, you can run fusion. You can run on multiple lines. 
Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can run like working so, part, working families and Democrat. Yep. Yeah. You can have three, four lines. So you have to get fifty thousand on your line to become a uh, recognized party. Literally, Gary Johnson in twenty sixteen could have won New York State. We'd have not been a party. All that matters in New York State is fifty thousand as a governor. We could win a Senate seat. Not a not not a party. You know? Just just the governor seat. That's it. That is the uh, we are very odd that way. <laughs> that is very odd. Exactly. That's and it must be that. Literally, we could have both senators a libertarian and one and and Gary Johnson could have won our state. We still would not be a party. That is very very weird. Yes, it I'm is. not sure. It's one of, I mean, you know, again, you had a million, you lost a million people in a few years. So it's not, it's not the, the end of the weird things in the state. But so, no. so it was more like your, your, I guess your, your business experience, uh, that seeing Gary Johnson, because it's interesting. Like I can count on one hand the number of people that said, and this isn't a slight to Gary Johnson, but that said, you know, Gary Johnson brought me to the party. Usually it's either Ron Paul or, yes. or, or they take the philosophical route like I did, you know, yep. you know Lysander Spooner or, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, Sterner or something you, like I'm that. The oddball. Yeah. I am. I know I'm the oddball. People have been trying to get me to diss Gary Johnson for years. I never <laughs> will. I will. Oh, I love Gary Johnson, and people get mad when I say it. I don't care. I love Gary Johnson. I, I owe him because he got me into the party. Without him, I'm not a libertarian. So I will never diss him ever. I will always support him no matter what he does. Doesn't matter. I'm loyal. I'm not. I'm not going to diss him ever. Yeah, he's a great man. He's a good man. He's a great man. To be forward, and he would say this too. He wasn't our best candidate. Agreed. He was not our best candidate. That's true. It doesn't make him a bad person. It doesn't make him a bad libertarian. He's still a great guy, a great man. I will never diss him, ever. And I'm honestly not 100% certain that he wasn't, for 2016 of the available people, wasn't the best candidate. I'll definitely say Will Weld was not. I, I definitely, uh, I can't picture you saying that, you know, Hillary was a great idea to vote for if you if you had had that, if you had had his, his spot. But, uh, but that and I it, can be 100% <laughs> sure of. That I would, no matter what gaffe I might have made, it wouldn't it have, would been that, yeah. have been that. Not have been that. That I'm sure it would not have been that one. Right, right, yeah. So I'm an anarchist, but I really don't have anything bad to say about Gary. I mean, I don't agree with him on a lot of things, but yeah. I, you know, it is what it is. I think people were very happy with him as governor. He cut a bunch of stuff. He was very at a time when you know now marijuana legalization and 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 drug decriminalization are becoming almost mainstream. I mean, you see Trump talking about it at this point. When he was doing it, it was very, very unpopular, especially Absolutely. amongst Republicans. And he was a Republican yep. at the time. So I really don't have much bad to say about him. Um, now, I'm not going to say that I'm bitter that you look younger than me. Uh, but I will say that you look younger than me. I uh, look younger and, than you? And then I'm, I'm, I'm a little bitter about it. But so I'm... <laughs> Dude, you see my gray hair? I've got, I've got, I've got some gray hair. It's you the lighting, I'm, the lighting. I, it's, my lighting is cool. That's what it is. That's my what it is. You have better lighting than me. That's I got better that, lighting than you. It's Don't be jealous of my age. Be jealous of my lighting. That's the <laughs> See, so I think what it is, so my thing is, if I turn white-haired, I'm fine with that. I, all I tell my hair, whatever color you want to be, just stay with me. Just stay with yes. me. Like, we, yes. we, we'll work out the color. I'm not worried about that. Just stay with me. So, um, <laughs> so, you know, um. You know I'm 50, right? See, now I, now I am actually bitter. Now I I'm am 50. Bitter. Okay, so I'm bitter. I'm bitter now. That's that's good. Well, you look great. So, speaking of which, uh, this the worst segue ever. Um, we are nearing the end of Black History Month. Um, we are. 
We are. You are a black man. Uh, you grew sure. up. You grew up in the Bronx, correct? I did. Yeah. So, um, and I personally believe, and I, I would imagine you agree, since you're a Libertarian Party candidate, uh, that the Libertarian message is naturally attractive one to black people and it people isn't. of people of color and minorities in it's, general. They're no. disproportionately harmed more by the government than white people. Uh, black no. people are three times more likely than white people to have their. Co- oh, no. you were incorrect in everything you just said. Okay. Totally incorrect. Okay. Um, the facts you gave are accurate. Okay. The fact that to make you to think though that minorities are drawn to libertarianism, not at all. I get well, they're clearly not right constantly, and I mean people. I would go to a black church; people would walk out of the church when I was campaigning. Really? Walk out? Yes. The days of Malcolm X are gone. Malcolm X was the best black libertarian there ever was. Most open about what he thought. Most open about picking up yourself from your own bootstraps, open about the ideas, all of them. And every time you do it, you get dissed. You get dissed Hard. completely, horribly. Yeah. yeah. Right? Right. Um, Colin Powell. Colin Powell said something that would drive people crazy now. And that's why people don't talk to him that much about it. Colin Powell talked about Amos and Andy. And he said, yes, it was absolutely a racist show. Right. And he said, I would rather have Amos and Andy on TV than cops. Because at least Amos and Andy shows a black family. Cops doesn't. Now, today's world, Amos and Andy, how dare you? It's racist. Right, right, so you're right. going to show cops instead? No. What is breaking up black America, or has been breaking up black America, has been the war on drugs. Worse yeah. than anything that has ever happened, with the exception, obviously, of slavery, which is obvious. I don't bring that up. Right, right, right. Clearly, right. slavery is the worst, right? I don't right, have to right. say that. I hope people get that, right? <laughs> apartheid was bad, but apartheid wasn't as bad as the war on drugs. Why? Because when there was apartheid, two things actually happened. There was a black economy. There's no black economy now. And if you happen to watch something on Netflix by Killer Mike, Killer Mike has a, has a, uh, a show on Netflix. And he talked about the idea of having a black economy. You can't have that anymore. Because if you want to spend your money in a black community, you can't. There aren't enough black people who own businesses in their own community. There's no ownership in our black communities anymore. Right? Everything you go is a franchise, which is owned by somebody who doesn't live there. Right, right. Right? So you don't have – you have so little ownership in so many black communities. Let me wrong. I'm exaggerating a bit. Not that there's no ownership. There's just so little ownership. There's very little. There's very little. Little, little ownership in business. Little ownership in, in housing. I live in New York City. And I was just at a public advocate debate forum two days ago. And everyone talks about, we got to give more money to what's called NYCHA. Those of you who don't know, in New, York, in New York City, the New York City Housing Authority. That's public housing. Okay. And the answer is always, give NYCHA more money. No. Give the people in, in, in public housing the opportunity to purchase their apartments. Right. Give them ownership. You want to fix poor neighborhoods? Ownership in business. Ownership in apartments. Everyone gets mad about gentrification. Who doesn't like gentrification? Those who rent. Those who own love gentrification. Right. Because their property value goes up. Right. Give the poor people, give them the opportunity to own their housing. They'll love gentrification. Yep. They'll become landlords. Yep. They'll become owners. They're like, yep. come on in, yep. hippie white guy from California. We love you coming we in. We love you. We love you we and love your money. You. Come yep. on in. Right? Yep. They'd be totally happy to have that happen. But we're not doing that. No one's talking about that. 
And so what happens is many people in, in poor communities think the only answer is government. And here's a very tough part to understand. And if you lived in a poor community, you know this. This is not, by the way, not just poor minority communities. communities. This is also poor white communities too. You have a situation to where the government is both your best friend and your enemy. What I mean by that is the government is the one who is putting you in prison, who is keeping you down, and giving you checks. Right. It's doing both. It's either giving you a check on public assistance or you work for the government. Right. One of the two. So you've got a situation where I'm both punching you in the face and giving you an ice pack. So I like the ice pack, so I don't want to be mad at you, but I got to get punched in the face to get the ice pack. But if I don't get the ice pack, I just get punched in the face. But what do I do? But at this point, you're taking getting punched in the face as a given. So you just want a bigger ice pack. You just want a bigger ice pack. I'm so accustomed to being punched in the face. I just want a bigger ice pack. So this is what keeps happening again and again and again. It is, it is beginning to turn. I think that is starting to happen. There is a, a group of people, and it's, it's the walkaway movement. You've heard about that before, right? Right, Blexit and idea, all that, yeah. yeah. Yes, it's, it's Blexit, exactly right. It's the idea of saying, we've been voting for Democrats for 40 years. Right. Man, when are we going to stop? Nothing's gotten better. Even with Obama. Even with Obama. Come on, mm. that, was supposed to, that was supposed to work for us. Right. And even that didn't work for us. It, it, it's not working for the black community at all. So... I, I'm I'm with you. I don't think look. I look at my own world, right? My own world. My my father and mother worked our way out of the South Bronx. How? They had a part time job as DJs. Yes, on the weekends they would go out and do cash business and be DJ. This is this is the age of disco, by the way. I'm 50, so this is the 70s, right? This is this is BGS and Donna Summer. Right, right, right. right. This is the 70s and disco. So they're out there doing disco and doing being DJs and that kind of thing. You know, records. Any listeners who are under thirty, it's it's like an MP3 file, but just physical. It's just big and made out of petrochemicals. <laughs> big and made out of like vinyl. That's it. Yeah, but it's like an MP3 file. Same idea. <laughs> so, um, so they had to use those things, and you know, this is how they we worked our way out. Doing that entrepreneurship, right? When I was a kid. You had guys who would be outside, this is the Bronx again, not the best neighborhood, particularly in New York City in the 70s, right. who would be outside banging out dents in cars to make money. Back then, they made cars out of metal. So you'd have people knocking that out, buffing them and painting them and making money. We didn't have Uber and Lyft, but right. cabs wouldn't come to my neighborhood, right? I had bad neighborhood, but tax cabs wouldn't come. So we had gypsy cabs. Oh. Okay. Right? Gypsy cabs were, you, if you ever watch an old 70s movie or TV show, you will sometimes find in the poor neighborhoods, it's based in New York, cars that had one um, door painted a different color. Right? So it'd be like a, a black car with a red door or okay. a blue car with a green door. That tells you it's a gypsy cab. So it was Uber before Uber. That's correct. Because cabs didn't come to a neighborhood. It was a bad neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's how you got around. This is people making money on their own. Right. That's how you got out. And the local stores, it was like Joe's Pizza, right? It was like Bob's Stationery Store. It was like that. It wasn't – everything wasn't a franchise so because then, local people actually were still owning things back then. Right. Now, right. very hard to find that. Very so, hard. So then what is – I guess for lack of a better word because, you know, I mean – 
we can both sit here and say libertarianism would work amazingly for black people, but we both know that overwhelmingly the the libertarian party looks like me, uh, you know, a nerdy white guy with a with a podcast. Um, but uh, you know, wh- I still love you. It's okay. I know, and I appreciate it. And I, I I'm not stopping my podcast. But uh, uh, what would you say is a strategy? If it, or even yeah. is there even or is it's there even one to, to spread the message to I those communities? If you if you ever notice, I did two things. I was the most popular libertarian last year who ran with an L by his name. There were many others who ran but did not have an L by their name. Right, right. I ran with an L proudly. So when people saw me in the news, when people saw me in the press, when people saw me in an event, when they saw me online, when they saw me in the podcast, it was always Larry Sharp, libertarian. Right. So that I'm trying to break that mold, right? Mm. I'm trying to break that brand. It's not, it's not just a white guy, you know, from the suburbs with a podcast. <laughs> the podcast, like, <laughs> it's this guy right here. Right. It's this guy, the guy who lives in New York City, and who's not a white guy. Right. right? It's that right. guy. So right. I want to show that. But when I actually spoke, I rarely used the word libertarian. When I spoke, I talked about answers for people's problems. So I talk about the idea of ownership in local communities. People like that. I don't go, we need libertarian philosophy. When people hear libertarian philosophy, they think one of two things. One, they think, what the hell is that? Right. That's option one. They yep. have no idea. Yep. Right? Like me, I was like, librarians? What? I have no yeah, idea. The what vast majority of people have no idea what libertarian is. No clue. Is. That's yep. option one. Right. Or option two, they go, oh, you guys are, if they're left, they go, you guys are hardcore conservatives and you want to kill people in the streets. Right. That's if they're left. If they're right, you guys are pot smoking hippies. <laughs> right. That that's that's the only that's what you get. If they're right. left or right, they say that. Oh, they don't know. Or so I stopped know. saying that. I started just giving them options that would actually work for them. And then they went, What's this guy? Oh, libertarian? That's libertarian. That's libertarian. Right, right, right. That's what I was trying to achieve. And I think they did a very good job. I got a lot of people. And I did. if you saw any of my, my live, go live, I did a lot of live streams during the campaign. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I would always ask four questions in every live stream. I'd say, how many people in this event are registered Republicans? Hands will go up. How many are registered Democrats? Hands will go up. How many are registered but not Democrat or Republican? Hands will go up. How many people here have not voted in the last two election cycles? Hands will go up every time. Did that live at almost everyone. If you want to, if you care, you can go to check any of my live streams. It's still on, on Facebook. And you'll see every single time hands went up. I was the only candidate who could draw all four of those people there. And why? Because I gave actual answers to people's actual problems. I you, talked about, I didn't talk about what people say all the time. Abolish public education. <laughs> That's not an answer. That would be me running. Yes, and that's not an answer. That's a, I'm mad. That's not good enough. Right. Right? I need an answer. So I gave them an actual answer. That if you look at my answer, I actually did privatize the last two years of high school. Right. Without saying that. Right. Because you say privatize. What? He's evil. Kill him. Well, not just private. When you say abolish, they're thinking get rid of all schools and now your kids are just running the streets like morons. Yeah. Now, you and I know that's not true. We know that's not going to happen. 
But when you have a mom or dad who's already afraid of their child not getting an education, who's already afraid of things not working for them, they're not going to think logically at all. When you have someone who is, who only knows public education, so their only other answer is death in the streets. (laughs) Remember something, people who are afraid make bad decisions, period, without question. That's how it works. Right, right, right. Groups of people who are afraid always cry for one of two things. They beg for socialism or they beg for a strong man. Right. Both end in dictatorship. That's how that works. That's the end game. Right, right. But they don't see that. What they see is my strong man's a good guy, so we'll be fine. Yeah. Or they see socialism is is awesome. It just, you know, they haven't done it right yet. Hasn't been done right. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Right. That's the issue. But it but it's perfect. So that's what they're crying for. If we just get mad and yell at AOC, right, uh, Alexander uh, Ocasio-Cortez. By right. the way, who is my representative? Oh, wow. Literally, I live in her district. Yes. That's I across the bear, con- huh? I accept your condolences. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. So, my, so we can either get mad at her and call her names. Doesn't right. work. No. Or we can get mad at Trump and call him names. Doesn't work. Definitely. That helps him so far. Getting mad it at him and calling too. him names. You, you, no, I know. I know. These things don't work. Right. The only thing that works is giving people actual answers and continually doing it. it this is a multiple year process, if not a decade process. Right. If not decades process. This is a long time. I say all the time, I don't want you to convert people. What I want you to do is have a whole bunch of conversations, hundreds of conversations. Right. Not debates, not arguments, conversations. Hundreds of them. You know you're winning if two or three weeks later, the guy you talked about, you know, concepts for taxation or concepts for foreign policy or concepts for business, he comes back and goes, hey, Spike, that thing you talked about, what about this? Right. You're winning. Right. But if he stops talking to you because he thinks you're an ass, you lost. You won the argument. Yay. (laughs) And you lost a friend. And you lost the voter, and now no one's going to support us. But you can right. go home and feel righteous on your podcast. I was definitely right. Well, that's the thing they say. Uh, I had Joshua Smith on, and we said, you know, two things about libertarians is that we're right and we lose, and yes. um, and so that's you're trying to break that. Now, so, what were some of the things that when you were running for governor, what would you say were your top like the things that you pushed as your your policies and and policy prescriptions of how you would change things in in New York? Education and raising money. Okay. Those two things were the biggest ones, right? Change the education system and raising money through ways other than taxation. Those two things were critical, right? I didn't yell, taxation is theft. I didn't do that stuff. It's not, again, that's not an answer, right? It's not an answer. I need to give answers. So I didn't, I didn't do that. Instead, I said, how about we find other ways of raising money? Right. Huh? Which, what does that do? Gets rid of taxation. Right, right, right. See that? So I started showing people other ways of raising money. And they were like, wait a minute. You mean taxes is not the only way to success? Yeah. Look at that. Now, I was a Marine, as you probably know. I was a Marine for uh, about seven years. Okay. And part of what I did in Marine Corps was intelligence. That was part of my second was I was in 02 for a short period of time. And during that time, I went to a couple classes and a couple schools, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. One of the things we talked about was the idea of – of, you know, how do you talk to people? How do you convince people? How do you change people? Interrogation settings, things like that, right? Oh, okay. So 
So one of the things I remember, there was a conversation we had about a guy. I think it was a video, if I'm not mistaken. I think that they showed us a video and we talked about this thing. It was a video of a guy. This was the 90s. So this guy was a, an army officer who was captured in the Korean War. But he gave the interview in the 80s or 90s. I forgot when he gave it. Okay. So it was 30, 30 years after he was captured. He was captured in, in, in Korea and a Chinese interrogator came to him and started telling him how, you know, uh, communism is awesome and it's the best thing in the world and don't you want to be a communist? Whatever he was saying, right? <laughs> right. And the West, this guy happened to be a stereotypical East Coast West Pointer. That's who this okay. guy actually was. The stereotype you would think of, he was that guy. Okay. So he was like, what are you talking about? When I'm when this war's over, I go back home to my beautiful Massachusetts family and my, my awesome home and wealth. Communism is good. What's wrong with you? I'm never right. going to think that. And the Chinese interrogator told him, he said, Oh, I know that. You're you're never going to think communism is great. I get that. That's not my goal. My goal is just to make you believe that your way isn't perfect. Then you'll leave Korea. That's all I need. I do that. You leave Korea. Oh, wow. I never forgot that. And in my words, realize something. There are many people in America who believe there is no other answer but government. No, I don't. There is no other answer but government. And for you to yell at them, they dig their heels in. The goal is to simply get them to realize, maybe there's another way. That's it. Once you break that, now we can have conversations. And the way you do that is by talking about solutions. Don't we want the same thing? And if they go, no, we don't, why are you talking? If they go, yes, we do. We want the same thing. Don't right. you want education for your kids? I do. Awesome. Now let's talk. We've agreed on the goal. Let's talk about how we get there. But if you just go abolish schools, they go, shut up. You're evil. You're a heretic. Right. This is my one. I bring this, this, this point up often. I'm going to bring it up again here if I could. I remember I had a, a woman who was an IP attorney, intellectual property attorney I was speaking to. This is right. a couple of years ago. And she's talking to me about intellectual property law. And I don't remember what she said, so I'm going to make this up. It may, the, the, the data may not be true for the sake of argument. Let's say the data is true. I don't, okay. I don't remember what she actually said. Okay. She said something like, you know, when it comes to intellectual property, um, it is 70 years after the death of the author. I made that up. Okay. And I was like, wow, that's a terrible law. And she goes, oh, no, 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 Larry, it's, it's the law. I said, no, no, I agree it's the law. It's just a terrible law. I'm right. sure you're a lawyer. It's the law. She goes, Larry, you don't get it. We had to change our law to match international law. It's international law. I said, I'm sure it is. And it's bad it's international bad. law. Right. She was mad at me, angry, and walked away. I want to be clear. She didn't sponsor this bill. She didn't write this law. Right. But in her eyes, I was a heretic. It was sacrosanct. Yeah. It was. In her yeah. eyes, law equals righteousness. Right. They are the same. And international law is super righteous. Yeah. That's international law. If the law had said, well, we get to kill people who are named Bob. Well, it's law, Larry. It's the okay, law. So clearly, it's the law. So clearly it's moral. Don't name your kid Bob. Obviously, Bob should die because it's the law. It's international law. It's international makes it law. more super. Right. And when you have that mindset in people, you can't just yell at them. And when I get all the time libertarians is, yeah, but you're dumb and who cares? And I got my rights and whatever. I hear that all the time. And you're wrong if you think that because those people are voting our rights away every year. 
They are voting our rights away every year. And if we don't change this, it only gets worse. Yep. And what I talk about all the time is right now, you know it. Anyone watching and listening knows it too. Our country is more and more divided. More and more divided. And it's getting worse. And the answer for each side is convert the other or ignore the other. Right. That's not the right answer. The only third way is the liberty movement. Because the liberty movement doesn't try to convert you. It simply says, don't force your way on others. Right. You can be if free and others be, can be free too. Yeah. If you want to be super conservative or super liberal, awesome. Right. right. Just don't force others to embrace you. And there's the key. It's the embrace part. Right? Right. Libertarians don't have to embrace everybody. They simply have to say, okay, you're who you are. In fact, you can even insult somebody. You just can't force them. If you don't like what someone's doing and you're libertarian, you have every right to go, that guy's dumb. That guy's wrong. That guy's immoral. That guy's unethical. Right. That guy is this stuff. That gal is these things I don't like. But she has every right to be that. But that's another big hurdle is that, you know, I mean, a lot of especially conservatives and liberals have been taught if you insult them, you're I mean, you need to be punished for that. So, I mean, that's that's another thing to overcome. A lot of my viewers are are mostly either minarchists and anarchists. And, and many of those anarchist viewers I get all the time. They, you know, why are you having Libertarian Party people on your show? Yeah, Electoral politics is a joke. Getting involved in the not, not even you specifically, even anarchists in the Libertarian Party. They're like, it's a joke. Still Getting involved in in in, in poli- party politics is a time is a waste of time. I, I kind of am at, at the at, at worst. I'm agnostic as to whether or not electoral politics is an effective way to set us free. I think at the very least it doesn't hurt anyone to do to do it, and there's the potential to to, to convert no, no, people no. along the it's, way. It's very important for several. Let me be very clear on two parts: one, the 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 anarchist part, and they're always mad at me, and then the electoral part. I know that many times during the time, either radicals or anarchists or um, uh, ancaps will be mad at me all the time. Right. Uh, everyone who is pragmatic gets mad at me. Because they think I'm uh, I'm not pragmatic enough, and everyone who's anarchist thinks they're mad at me. I'm not anarchist enough. How now, are you I'm not pragmatic guy, enough? Oh my god! Because I'm the guy who literally, in writing, said in my heart, I'm an anarchist. I said it because I am. In my heart, I want a total voluntary society. That would be amazing. I've said that more than once. But I've also said on top of that, we can't get there now. The culture is just. I live in New York City. The culture is nowhere near there. We are so far away from that. We're on the opposite side of the planet. I'm going to get as close to I can as I can to that. That has made some pragmatic people unhappy. They didn't like that. You were the wow, prototype of pragmatism. Words. That's what I think. But even they get mad. And anarchists get mad at me. Larry, you, you, you don't want to destroy everything <laughs> tomorrow. You're right. I don't. But here's the most important piece. For those of you who are listening who are anarchists, who are on the on the more radical side, realize something. I am the only voice in this party that is more mainstream that has openly said, I do not in any way, shape, or form want to purge. It is a bad idea to purge. The anarchist wing of our party is critical. We have to keep them. Without question, we must keep them because they are our North Star. They're the ones who keep us focused in the right direction. Right. If we don't have them, this party will become Democrat light or Republican light. Guaranteed. Right. It will become that. I know that. So I'm not mad. They hate me half the time. I don't hate them. And sometimes they come to me like, Larry, can we have some help? Yes. 
I still help them even when they they literally will yell at me last week and call me horrible names. And then a week later say, Larry, can I have some help? I go, yeah, fine. Fine. Yeah. Because I know that I need them. So if you're listening and you're mad at me now, I hope you won't be as mad at me. And I hope you realize that even if you're mad at me and you, and you ask for help, I'll probably still help you anyway. I'm I, the only one who says that. I'm now, just... your, your, your other point you brought up. What was right. the point you brought up? I can remember now. The electoral politics. Electoral politics. Electoral politics is critical for several reasons. Because if you are right, if your anarchist friends are correct, and it is a waste of time, if we don't walk down that road and watch it fail, we won't have enough people to help us do anything else. We have to walk down that road. And if that road's successful, then I'm right and you're wrong and you'll be happy because I still won. So everybody wins. If I'm wrong and it can't work, then there's going to be something nasty happening in our nation. And if it happens, you want as many people on our side as possible. That will only happen if they believe the electoral policies failed. That will only happen if they believe it's failed. So either way, electoral politics matters. Either way. Because if you want people on your side, they have to believe. How do I know that? I was a Marine. I was prepared to give my life on someone's order. I was prepared to send people to their death on someone's order. Right. If this gets bad, that will matter. Why? Because I believed. People aren't going to believe if they don't see electoral politics fail. So either way, it works. Either I win, I'm right, which means we all win. Life is good. <laughs> or we fail, in which case something bad's going to happen. And you want people to realize that this op- the second or tertiary option that we've chosen is actually the righteous one because all the other ones have failed. So worst case scenario is an anarchist becomes president. Why is that worst case? No, I was just saying, so if, it, if, if they're wrong, worst case? well, worst case is we're wrong or they're wrong. The people saying electoral politics is a joke. They were wrong because you get elected and now, you know, we're, we're, we're well on our way to statelessness. And best case scenario is that they're right and everything's falling apart. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing the, they're right being the best case scenario. Um, so one of the things that you talked about when you were running for I'm governor, sure that's the, I think the best case scenario is, is a peaceful transition. Now, someone asked me the other day, someone was in one of my events, he said, Larry, you know, do you think theoretically that Americans have the right to revolt? I said, it's in, it's in our founding documents. Of course we do. Right, right. But I don't want us to. No, it's a bad idea. It's a terrible, terrible. idea. It's a terrible right? idea. Yeah. Of course we have the right to, but yeah. why would I make that my first choice? Yeah, right. Right? Because if you go through violence, the psychological scarring stays forever. We had a civil war a hundred, what, 60 years ago? And people yeah. are still mad. Yep. Right? This is... Violence is not the first choice at all. It should be our absolute last, total last resort. Of course. Like everything else has failed. Yeah. This is exactly the reason why electoral politics is important. Yeah. And, and, the, and the thing is, not only is, is it a, a bad idea because of the scars, it's a bad idea. If 99% of people still believe in government, you get rid of one government and replace it with probably something worse. Um, yes. Because now everyone's pissed off and they're you know looking to purge anyone that disagreed with them, and you end up you with a, a, a dictator. The French Revolution, even this revolution after the after the American Revolution, there was the whiskey tax rebellion and a bunch of other smaller rebellions that made, in many ways, the American government every bit as bad as what the British were doing. So I mean, it's not not to go that far. Come on, well, it, 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 it's bad probably. at times. It was bad at okay, times, yes, and, bad and, at and, times. and 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 uh, now and now we are. Oh yeah, easily. Now easily. we are, but back way then, worse. Uh, yeah. 
I think the British Empire was worse than us. Yeah, I mean, well, unless you were a slave. But, uh, uh, yes, so, unless you were a slave or Native uh, American. <laughs> right. right. Assuming you were an actual American citizen. Assuming then, that you were an actual American citizen, the American government was far better than the British. Then it was a step up. So one of the things you talked about when you were running for, uh, running for office was, and, and you have a background as a teacher, you talked about K-10, um, yeah. which was, I guess, removing two grades. I intentionally didn't read about this because I wanted you to explain it, so I'm, I'm hearing it fresh. What exactly does that mean? Homework. Well done. It's a good excuse for not doing homework. Uh, it is so an excellent, yeah. I intentionally didn't even look into it. Yeah, exactly. Because I cared about you, Larry. Sure. <laughs> I just want to know. I want to hear it from you. So, no, the, the idea was if you look at it right now, we have a system in New York State where we drop about $22,000 uh, per student uh, per year, and we rank about 37th in the country. That is does, does that does that in, does that include federal money? That's just state money. That includes no, that includes federal money. Yes. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Our budget in New York State is about sixty billion dollars <laughs> for education. Correct. <laughs> that is more. That is a higher budget than most states, and that's just for education. That's way higher than South Carolina's budget. Yes, that's probably bigger than your entire South Carolina budget. Easily, yeah. Easily, yes. The whole budget, just our education, is bigger than your entire budget. And we rank 37th. New York, baby. Yeah. So, so yes. So, my goal was, is, and not just that, people are still leaving New York State in droves. Right. The education system is garbage. And we have a thing called Common Core. Horrible idea. What idiot thought of that? Terrible idea. Right. So, here, here was my plan. Several things in my plan. And teachers love this idea, but I didn't get teachers' votes because the union said, the union said, Larry's trying to get rid of all your pensions. Right, right, right. Which was not true, but that's what right. they said. Anyway, um, so the idea is, first off, no standardized testing until high school. Standardized testing prior to high school is nothing but bad. It's an unfair way of grading teachers. It's an unfair way of rating schools. It's an unfair way of rewarding schools with money. It, do- it makes kids who are not good test takers at 9, 10, 11, 12 years old feel dumb. Yeah. They also then get labeled the dumb kid because they're bad test takers. Yep. That stays with them forever. That and was of me. all of those things, yes, that happens yep. all the time. That was me. And yep. here's the worst part about this. You know, kids who are labeled dumb rebel. They act out. <laughs> That's what they do. You keep right? talking That's- about me. Hold on. So wait, so this is about the third time you have you have attacked me on this show, but my or, or, this is or not pers- attack. <laughs> personally this described is, me. Th- this is a realization of humanity. No, I know, I know. Right? It's a realization of humanity. This is what happens. So on top of that, it is absolutely no indication of success in those years. None. You can be the best test taker at 10 years old or the worst. Yep. Does it mean you are going to be successful or not? It, they are not related at all. No. Zero relation. So why are we doing it? To no. get federal funds. Our budget is about $60 billion. And you say, well, Larry, we need federal funds. Federal funds for New York State is only $4 billion. Now, for some states, $4 billion is a lot of money. That's, for us, yeah. it's less than 10% of our budget. Yeah. So we're going to lose that. But here's the thing. If we lose that, what do we lose? The literally hundreds of administrators we have in our state that are just for federal issues. The average teacher in New York State makes about eighty grand. That's much lower in, in more poor areas and much higher in the cities. But the average is around eighty grand. Okay. The average administrator makes over one hundred fifty. And they're, just, and they're just making sure that you're complying with federal law. That is correct. Yes. And here's the worst part. In some school districts, there are literally, literally 
more administrators than teachers. <laughs> yes. You wonder why we're $60 billion. So once we get rid of federal funds, the feds will say, wait a minute, Larry, um, you're not doing these things. Great. Don't give us money. We don't want it. Have a nice day. We don't need you. Yeah. And what happens? We lose administrators. Administrators go away. What does that mean? One administrator goes, I can hire two of the teachers. But me as governor, I don't decide what that is. I allow the local school district to. Localizing schools, ending the Board of Regents, which in New York State is our equivalent of the Department of Education in New York State. It's called the Board of Regents. Okay. That's the equivalent okay. of our state DO, uh, Department of Education. That goes away. We, we get rid of that completely and allow local school districts to take care of themselves. Will some of them fail? Yes, of course. The whole state's failing now. Yeah, I was going to say, everyone's failing now, right? The whole state's failing. We have, uh, as city of Rochester in New York State, upstate New York's Rochester, we have the worst graduation rate in the nation. Not in our state. In the nation. There was one study that showed uh, black males less than 10% graduation rate, high school. In certain areas of Rochester. Yeah, worse than the nation. So you, you're going to tell me that the government's working? I don't care what that school district says. Right. They can say, we want to we wanna bring a dog in to teach. Deal. It can't be worse than what you got now. Give it 90, a shot. Yeah, less than 10%. Yeah, I bet a dog Give could get at shot. least 15. Try dogs. Yeah, try a dog. Care. Try a dog. Give it a shot. It's not worse than we have now. But more importantly, they can choose what they want to do. Right. But I wasn't done with that. On top of that, we have to, we have to, once we do that, we then have to look at 12th grade. I'm sorry, 10th grade. I want to stop us going the last two years of high school. The last two years of high school, for too many Americans, New Yorkers for sure, but most Americans too, the last two years, gym, study hall, video games, smoking weed. <laughs> that's the last two years of high school. So I know that's true. I was the only candidate who actually said that. And every time I said it, they were like, God damn it, he's right. Every other candidate was like, education's critical. We got to give them more money. I'm like, it sucks. They're smoking They're weed. throwing your life away. So and I now start- they go off to college and they just spent two years smoking weed and video games. And we wonder why they're not ready for college. That's why college is the first year is 13th grade. Because no one remembers anything because they're all been high on weed for two years. <laughs> so of course they don't remember anything. So, so they're not is- ready for college. So now, the this, average college kid now takes six years to graduate. The average is six years if right. you even graduate. Yeah. So I actually this this speaks to me. One, this is like maybe the sixth time you've described me personally. Um, I'm psychoanalyzing you, my friend. You're you're amazing. I you, we've never even talked before this. And you're like this is you, Spike. I'm like, oh my lord. Um. So in tenth grade, I completely fell off school wise. I actually basically just kept smoking weed and yep. for two years. I, I, I barely made it out of high school. I did yep. not go to college for the reason of just being done with school. But what I did do, thankfully, unlike a lot of my friends who you know ended up in a much worse situation, is I said, I need to find a thing that I can do where I can stay home and smoke weed. So I started a website design company. And, wow. uh, and, and that's where, why I am where I am now. But I, uh, uh, I, I thankfully was an exception to that. But every single... I don't want you to be the exception. Well, that's the thing. Every single one of my friends and me were just smoking weed. We wouldn't even yep. go, like we go. We'd maybe come back for our last two classes. So I mean, yes. you're you're 100 percent correct. Those when I saw K10, I'm like, my first thought was, what are they going to do those last two years? And my second thought was, I guess smoke weed at home if they want to, or go to or go to college, but not I'm be sitting there. Tell you what they do. They got five choices. Okay, five choices at 16. Now you can start taking standardized tests in high school. As I said, no standardized tests 
prior to high school. Right. In high school, you can because standardized tests can do something very well, and that is kind of figure out what you're good at and where you might want to go in life, right? Right now in New York State, and I'm sure it's across the country, everyone's like, don't go to trade schools. They're bad. In New York State, we have what's called BOCES, also CTE. That's basically trade school for high school in New York State. I'm sure other states have something similar. Yeah, yeah. Right? And what our guidance counselors all say is, don't do that. You're better than that. That's for the dumb kids. That's for the bad kids. Shame on us for that. Yeah. New York State needs tradesmen. Trades are great. Being a plumber is amazing. Being a mechanic is awesome if you want to do it. So at 16, let's make some choices. Number one, go to trade school. Go to a two-year trade school, and then when you're done at 18, you either have a license or an apprenticeship prepared, depending upon what trade you go into, right? Some right. trades you can get a license in two years, some you can't. Whatever the trade is, you get what's required in the next two years. Okay. All right, you don't want trade school. No worries. You think college is right for you. Awesome. Two-year prep school. A two-year prep school that preps you for the type of college you want to go to. Are you going to go to a tech school? Are you going to go to a medical school? Are you going to go to a liberal arts school? Are you going to go become a, a, a professor? Whatever. Two-year right. prep school preps you that when you get to college, you are ready to rock and roll. You don't need 13th grade. And most importantly, you can take advantage of what matters in college today, and that is incubators and internships. Right. If you don't have an incubator internship, you are throwing your college experience away. You're going to come out four years later and not have a job. You acquire those two things. If you have you spent two years prepping for this, you can jump on board and leave college maybe three years and not six even, right? It can even be three years because you've done so much in prep school. So you can get out back onto the world faster. Right. You don't want any of that. You know what? Because you're super smart. You're that kid who's an amazing test taker and you're going to be a scientist anyway. So guess what? Don't waste your time in two years of doing AP classes. Instead, go directly to college. Get a two-year associate's degree so when you're 18, you have an associate's already. You're going to spend 10 years in college anyway. Yeah, you're So why not course, start? Right. Yep. You're that kid. Awesome. Yep. Next, you don't want any of those things. Start a business. Right away. Start me. a business. Yes, me. start a business. Yep. Start immediately. In today's world, you can start a business at 16 easily. You could do it 20 years home. ago when I did it. Yep. Yes, yep. and people yep. do it from it's your home. Now. Yeah. You could do a lawn, a lawn business. You could do a web business. You could do a sales business. Who cares? Start a business. Last one. Just get, go to work. Get a job. Just get a job. Go to work. Just get we a have, job. We have laws from like the, the 1800s or whatever. Well, why are we scared of some kid working at 16? Who's going to get caught in a loom and die in a factory? Come on. It's not going to happen anymore. That's a fantasy. That's garbage laws that shouldn't even exist anymore. Let a kid go work. Let a kid get a work ethic. Let a kid know what it means to show up. Right? Let a kid know that when I say come to my office at 8, I don't mean 9.30. Yep. That's I a, meant 7.45. Yep. That's what I meant when I said 8. Yep. Let people know that. Yep. And what I always get is the same thing. But Larry, they're 16. I mean, they're going to make mistakes. Good. Make a mistake at 16, not 26. Exactly. The price for failure at 16 is nothing compared yep. to the price for failure at 26. Having, sp having spent a decade in school and now having to be an adult for pretty much the first time in your life and you're like, wait, I'm almost 30. What am I doing? And I've got, you know, six figures in, in, in student yes. loan debt. Learn that Absolutely. at 16. My, my, my parents, uh, uh, made me get jobs during the summer. And it was, yep. again, it wasn't the coal miner. I was working as like a bus boy making more than a lot of people are making now. I was making five bucks an hour plus tips, which worked out to like 12 bucks an hour. And I learned two things in that. Uh, one, I liked 
interacting with people. And mm-hmm. two, I did not want to work for someone else. And I learned yeah. that at like 14, 15 years old. But uh, what the thing I learned was I didn't want to work for someone else. And yeah. so what I did was at 16, I'm like, I want to sit home and get high. I can make websites. And I eventually dropped the sitting home and getting high part, but I kept the the, the, the business part. Child labor law, you know, the joke, child labor laws are ruining this country. Child labor laws are teaching 16, 17, and 18-year-olds that you are too young to work. But yeah. so you need to develop a career having never learned how to be accountable how to work with others or any of that stuff yes i was stuffing envelopes when i was 14 15 years old in the bank absolutely yes and i learned when they said nine o'clock it meant be ready to work at nine o'clock yeah not stroll in at nine and say hi to your friends (laughs) it means you sit down in front of the the desk to stuff envelopes this is the 70s and the 80s the 80s to stuff envelopes you know, you do that at nine. Yep. I learned that idea of showing up like that. Of course, yes. But you might say, but Larry, this sounds good, but who's going to pay for it? Here's how. New York State Constitution says we must pay for grades one through 12. Must okay. in our okay. Constitution. Unless we're going to have a Constitutional Convention, we can't change that. Great. Right. Here's how I'm going to do it. I was a Marine. When I got out of the Marine Corps, I got the GI Bill. The GI Bill said, here's X dollars. and You have X years to use it. Good luck. We do the same thing for all our kids at 16. You get $20,000, five years to use it. Good luck. Go. Now, what's going to happen? Here's what I guarantee you. A bunch of trade schools going to pop up. Yeah. A bunch. And a bunch of a other schools going to pop up. A bunch of schools, them. Yep. And guess how much they're going to cost for two years? <laughs> $19,999.95. Yep. No, 20000 exactly. Okay. They're going to cost exactly that. Why? It's guaranteed government money. Now, how do we know they'll, they'll pop up? Because banks will give loans. Why will banks give loans? Guaranteed government guaranteed money. money. It's guaranteed. There is no guaranteed government money. Yep. There is nothing bankers love better, nothing they love more than right. guaranteed government money. My God, they love it. They wake up smiling their face when they hear guaranteed government money. So, a, so that means it will pop up. It will happen. When that happens, people will study schools and they start doing it. Now, here's the issue. But Larry, has $20,000. Where's the money going to come from? Okay. Right now, we drop $22,000 per kid per year. If we use this, it's only $10,000 per kid per year for the last two years. We're saving $12,000 per kid per year. There are about, give or take, 400,000 11th and 12th graders in New York State. That's more than $4 billion. I just made up my federal funds. So the federal funds that I lost, I just made up. And I lost all those administrators. So I gave every single school district a surplus. Every school district gets a surplus. If they want to lower school taxes, they can. If they want to hire more teachers, they can. If they want to build a football field, they can. Let them do it. The people decide the local level what makes the most sense with that surplus. Right. Do whatever they feel appropriate with it. Right? Maybe they have a crushing tax burden. Lower taxes then. Yep. I- I'm not going to decide that. The local community will decide that what they think is appropriate for their schools. Will some make mistakes? Of course, but others will learn. There are, there are hundreds, I forgot, is there 400, I think 400 school districts in New York State. I think 400. There's hundreds of them. They'll figure out what works and what doesn't work. They may consolidate if they want to. They may not. But, I don't they, have to decide all those things. And they'll they look at each other to see stuff. what's working and not working. So Exactly. Yep. And, but not just that. If you go to school in Upper Manhattan or if you go to school in Hamilton County, in New York, different worlds. Why in the world would I want to standardize that? There, there are literally, in Hamilton County, New York State, 5,000 people in the entire county. <coughs> There's more people in one block in Manhattan. Right. 
right? So whatever. Let them do what they feel is appropriate. To give you the size and scope of Manhattan, there are people who are UPS truck drivers. Their entire route is several floors in the building. <laughs> That'll give you the idea of how big this is. Their entire route is several floors in one building. Not even the whole building. That's correct. They need more than one UPS truck driver for one building. We have like four drivers for the whole county, I think. Thank you. That's my point. I'm trying to show you the differences. It is a different world, and they should have different rules. And parts of upstate are similar in rurality or whatever you call it as here. So, yeah. 100%. Yes. So, as I said, in Hamilton County, the entire county, 5,000 people. Yeah. Just so. in Queens, my borough of New York, over two million. <laughs> Just in my borough, right, over two million. So basically, your neighborhood in your neighborhood is like two million people. That's yeah. correct. Yes, it's so, quite yeah. a neighborhood. So it's, quite it's, a... It's, it's, it's a whole different world. Right, different world. right. Now and that it... was my whole plan on. But what happens in this case is there's no increase in taxes. In fact, it's a decrease in taxes. Right. And it's and local communities can decide how they decrease their taxes. Not me as governor. Right. They decide what's right. Not just that, we basically privatized two years of school, right? That's such and, a head start for those kids. Like, I yes, mean, that's huge. And they get and they get better results for less money, happier kids. But it's mo- there are two other parts that are important here too, which no one even talked about. I'll, I'll bring this up also. School violence. School violence is about teenagers being unhappy and having no purpose, and yep. and, ha- and bullying is about yep. wrong kids being in the wrong place. Right. You do this. School violence cut tremendously. Oh, yeah. Right? Why? Because kids will have purpose. Yeah. Right? All those openly violent school shootings, at their core, they are public suicides. At their core. They're, they're murders, yeah. but at yeah, their but core. They, 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 are, they are suicides. They want to attempt. They're public they, suicides. Yeah. They, they well, wanted a purpose. Kids who right? have purpose don't commit suicide. Yep. That's just how it works. Yeah. Matter right, what yeah. are you, psychiatrist? No, I'm a human being. That's how it works. If... Literally, kids are going to be like, I can go kill people today. I can't because the tractor's broken and I got to go fix the tractor. That's purpose. Right. I can go kill some people or I can go to my geek school where we're yeah. figuring out how to do rocket science. Right. And my teacher needs me. Yep. I have purpose. I, don't, I can't kill people today. I have to help build the rocket ship. Right? Yep. They have right. a purpose. Right. Because the geek kids will go to the geek schools, yep. which means the kids who don't want to be in that class won't be fighting them. They'll be in a different school. Yeah. A school with people like them will be. Some of those kids won't even be in school. They'll be working. They'll have jobs. They'll have businesses. Right? Imagine as a teacher. If you're a teacher listening to this, imagine a classroom where every kid wants to be there. Imagine that classroom. Every kid wants to be there. Of high schoolers who want to be there. High schoolers. Every kid wants to be there. Oh, my God. Imagine how powerful that education will be. Imagine how happy. Imagine what you can accomplish in a classroom where, you know, discipline issues are virtually zero. Because they're all happy to be there and be a part of it. They chose this place. They want to be there. Right. It's not like, I go to school today. It's I pick the right school. Yeah. I don't want to go to school. Don't. Get a goddamn job, man. Go. I'm yeah. super cool. I can be a mechanic. Go be a mechanic. Go be a mechanic. Why are you sitting in history class? Why are you sitting in history class when you want to be a plumber? Yep. You should be in plumbing class because you want to be a plumber. <laughs> you don't want right? to be a historian. You want to be a plumber. Yeah. And if you want to be a historian, you're happy to be in history class. You want to be a historian. I, I'm with you. I'm with you. So 
and again, guys, keep up because now that I know that there are people that say you aren't pragmatic enough, here is someone who describes himself as an anarchist talking about giving every child in New York schools $20,000 at the age of 16. If you don't think this man is is, pragmat- is being pragmatic, then I don't know what you want. I don't know what you want. I, I don't think anyone I don't knows. Know I don't think I don't, you, you don't know what you want. You, I still love you them anyway. Does, in case you haven't noticed, I don't really care what they think. I still love them anyway. And I just keep going. Of course. Yeah. Larry doesn't care what you think. I'd say figure out what you want because you got to sort yourself out. We're leaving you, you behind in 2018 um, retroactively. Um, so, okay. So I, I have to do this. I have to do this. Are you going to take this time on my show to announce that you're running for president? I'm not running for president. Oh. People keep saying that and I, I'm happy to hear it. And I love that they hear it. Not happening. For those of you who don't, may not know why, here, it's a very simple reason why. Okay. I took a year and a half off of my life to run for governor because I wanted to show everybody that you can run a real campaign as a libertarian. You don't have to be ashamed to be libertarian. Right. You can run with an L by your name. You can get press. You can you can have real answers. You can build a policy library, which I built. You can build a team across the country, which I built. Yeah. I raised half thing. a million dollars. Yep. I started with 10000 of my own money. That's how I began the campaign. I wrote myself a check for ten grand. And then I raised half a million. So you can do it. But doing that, I spent a year and a half away from my family. Right. I spent a year and a half uh, away from making money. Uh, for me, to, if I'm going to start, if I'm going to for president, I got to start this summer. That's where I got to start. If I'm going to be president, I got to start this summer. At the very, at the very latest, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And what are the odds I can raise enough money to do anything? Uh, you know what? For, for me to run for president, there would have to be just something very special happening. Otherwise, no way. I mean, what am I going to do? Destroy. I'll have no family left. I'll have no business left. That's true. Yeah. So I appreciate it. I love it. Maybe 2024. Maybe. Okay. Fair enough. So Maybe. you took the time to be on the show to say you're not running for president, which is – that's still a breaking news. No, dish. I took the time to be on the show because you asked me to. And No, no, no. I was saying you, you took the moment to say that you weren't. Oh, sure. Yeah, because the podcasts are important. Podcasts are the future of, of media. So I did so many of them. It's why I did Dave Rubin. It's why I did Glenn Beck. That's why I did Joe Rogan. That's why I did Dave Smith. And that's why often people ask me in the podcast, I'm very often, will I take time out to go on podcasts? Because it matters. Right. People are paying attention. What people haven't realized in politics yet, you get it, obviously. Right. And that is the average American, particularly if you're under 40, particularly if you're under 40, hundred percent of you under thirty, you don't want sound bites. You want long form. Right. You want long form. You want to talk with somebody. You yeah. want to believe they can talk. And you also like off the cuff. You don't like prepared speeches. And this is why if you saw me the entire campaign, not one time that I ever use notes. Not one even when I was in debates. Yeah. No notes ever. I went on TV. No notes ever. You, I have no notes. I take whatever because people want to know that what I'm saying is real. They want to know that what I'm saying I believe. Even if they disagree with it, they would rather say, yeah, that guy's completely wrong, but he's telling the truth. Right. They'd rather have that than that guy's wrong and he's a liar. Right. <laughs> right? At least he's telling the truth even though he's wrong. 
That's fair enough. So uh, speaking of which, so you have been, uh, unlike most libertarians, you've been successful in getting quite a bit of mainstream coverage. You were on Fox Business. You were on mm-hmm. Joe Rogan, Glenn Beck. You're on Spike Cohen. I'm not mainstream. Uh, but you were also on many, many local TV and radio shows uh, yes. throughout New York and the surrounding environs. What's that? Newspapers too. Yeah, I newspapers. made front page in a local one upstate New York. I made front page once. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, you were all over the place during the campaign. How was your message received when you're giving it to, I guess, normies? Um, great, to be forward with you. Uh, okay. What happened in the campaign, for those of you who weren't paying that close attention, obviously, if you're not in New York, you didn't pay that much attention. Um, what happened was the establishment was able to hammer me at the end. Okay. I actually, if, if you were paying attention and you were in an actual campaign in New York State, internal polling actually had me at between 6 and 11%. <laughs> depending upon when it was. That's huge, huge. 6 and 11% is massive. Yeah. The Democrats in our state saw this and said, oh, we don't care, we still win. Who cares, whatever, walked away. Right. The Republicans, the Republicans went, oh, oh my God, that's a lot. He might make us look bad. Get yeah. him. And the Republicans hammered me, right? Not that Republicans are any better or worse than Democrats. Democrats just didn't care because they were so far ahead. Even if I got 11%, it was irrelevant. And the Republicans- I mean, by, The Republicans- didn't- 30%. The Republicans didn't care about the Democrats because they knew they were going to lose to them. They just didn't want to come in third to you. Bingo. Right. That was their concern. So they decided that I was the bad guy. And all of a sudden, Larry Sharp was a Democratic plant. All of a sudden, that was the thing that came out. <laughs> yes. Larry Sharp wants to get rid of all your retirement. Larry Sharp doesn't care about you. He wants to kill babies. Whatever. I was all of a sudden the bad guy, right? All of a sudden. But th- what's funny is when they were doing that, that really wasn't hurting me as much as they thought. In fact, what was happening is people were saying, Larry Sharp. Larry Sharp, right. Thank you. Then they would look me up and go, this guy's better than you. Jeez, Republicans are. Right. I like this guy. Yeah. So while I was losing some, I was gaining others. Right. So it wasn't hurting as much as they thought. Then they did the, 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 the final blow, which was devastating for me. And that was they bought a poll. The Siena poll that came out was the poll they bought. And the poll was done like this. It had um, three questions. So they'd say, hey, Spike, you're a New Yorker. Will you vote for the Democrat, the Republican, or – and there were, there were five other options. The, the Independent, the Green, me, nobody, anybody. Okay. And they only gave them one of those options at any given time. Yes. So they would call you up and say, do you want to vote for a Democrat, Republican, or Green? That's it. Right. If you said, well, Larry Sharp, he's not an option. Well, fine, then I'll go Republican. Boom. Or I want Larry Sharp. Good. You don't count. Next call. Next call goes Democrat, Republican, Independent. Democrat, Republican, Libertarian. Democrat, Republican, nobody. Democrat, Republican, anybody. So I was only listed one in five questions. That poll was bought by Republican PAC and purposely set up that way on purpose. And that's why if you ever see a poll that says the the third party shared 10% or the third party shared 5% because they all had all part of one question. That's a – well, I mean that's not a real poll. That's just intended to hurt – None of them are. Yeah, that's intended to hurt you. This is what I learned in the campaign. Right. You want to be in a poll? Buy the poll. Right. If you buy the poll, you decide what's in the poll. Right. A poll's cost between thirty dollars and $40,000. So you're not going to spend that when you've got a half-million-dollar campaign. I wanted to, but here was my problem. What if I spent thirty dollars or $40,000 of literally other people's money, which right. I actually cared about? I know most candidates don't, but I actually cared about. Right. Right? And I dropped 30 or 40 grand and the poll's garbage. Now what? Yeah. I, I threw $30,000 in the garbage and that that shows up literally on my report. 
that I spent $30,000 on a poll. People say, where is that? Where's that poll? Oh, yeah. So now I have to show a garbage now poll. Now you have to show the poll, right. So I spent $30,000 for a garbage poll and I have to show it. Which is the, like... The risk- which the is like almost a tenth. Yeah, it's almost like a tenth of your of your budget, right? Like, I mean, yes. that's, yeah, that's a substantial amount to get what could be a flop. Yes, but when packs have millions of dollars, of they course. do it. Oh, of course, of course they do many of them. Yeah, that meant the Republican got a lot, a larger chunk of votes because all the people he became by default the anti-Democrat vote. So then the the narrative was Republican is uh, closing the gap. That was three weeks before the election. Uh, that okay. narrative came out, and all the Democrats who were going to vote for me said, "Whoa, Republican might win." I came up with Larry Sharp, and the Republicans going, "Oh, my guy could win." I'm not voting for Larry Sharp because so we I might lost. actually win. Yeah, we could we could beat Cuomo. Yeah, right. I lost hundreds of thousands of votes just on that poll. Yeah, that was the end of the game, right yeah, there. But and that's but that's dirty. If you've seen it before. You saw it happen in 2016. You saw it happen before that. When Third parties, libertarians included, realize the war's over, they lose steam, they stop caring, they walk away, right. disaster. Yeah. I didn't do that. I knew that. I fought to the end. I was on the on election day, I did a three hour go live saying, People, get out and vote. People yep. get out. I was I said I would run to the end. I said I would sprint to the finish. I said I'd empty my tank, expend the remaining, and I did. And I'm still going now. The war is not over. Right. I'm not done. I kept going. And if you can imagine, are you a football fan at all? I, yeah, sort of, yeah. Okay, yeah. so you know. So imagine if you would. It's how I felt. It's the fourth quarter, 45 seconds left. You're down by eight points. You're charging down the field. You throw that Hail Mary pass. They intercept it. Run it back for a touchdown. Now you're behind by 15 points. There's 30 seconds left. Do you want to get back on the field? Of course not. <laughs> but if you're a champion... You do. You do. You, you just get back do. on the field yep. and you try to throw that Hail Mary pass again. Right. And you try to get the onsides kick again and you try it anyway. Right. And I did. And I went back on the field again, three weeks knowing, three weeks left in the campaign knowing the ball game was over. There was no yep. way I could win this thing. In fact, at, at three weeks left, there was no way of me even getting second place. Right. That was gone. Yep. But I couldn't stop. My rhetoric did change because I didn't want to lie to people. If you notice, my rhetoric was, what happens if I come in third? What happens if I come in second? Look at the impact of even second place. Right, right. I stopped talking about winning in about the last two to three months. I stopped talking about winning because at that right. point I realized I, it was impossible. I didn't want to let people think, think that I knew I was going to win. Was there a chance? Of course, it was always a chance, right? Someone There's always a chance. Right. Lightning, a crazy thing's going to happen, of course. But I was talking about second place and third place because I thought those were still possible. I actually, and this is something you, you may or may not know, I tell this story only to make people support me feel better. In reality, I got far more than 100,000 votes. And why? Because of the ballot. Now, again, this is just to make people feel good. I'm not going to sue anybody. It doesn't change the outcome. It's just to make people who support me feel better. Okay. Um, because I was on a ballot. I was the only person on the second column. Everybody else was in the first column. The only one. Okay. A lot of our machines couldn't read that column. Those votes are gone. Not just that. That's the end of it. Not just that. I was in the same line as another independent. Many people didn't know who my lieutenant governor was. So they circled both, thinking she was my lieutenant governor. Oh. That's a voted vote. There were over 100,000 voted votes, the most we've ever had in New York State. Those are all my votes gone. Now, I don't know how many there are. 
Right. But I lost by two million votes. There were not two yeah, million. Right, votes. right, 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 right. So there's no need for me to get mad or to sue or anything. It's a waste of time. Yeah, it doesn't change any outcomes or anything like that, right? I still lost. Right. right. I still lost. Right. I say this just to make people feel better who supported me. Yeah. We did a whole lot better than the numbers show. Like, right. Well, good. We good. got at least two hundred thousand votes, if not more. Good. So stuff. at least you can feel better about the outcome. Yeah, and your team was, I mean, watching your team in, in action, it was it was insane. You guys were way, punching way above your weight class, I will definitely say that. I know I got just a couple more minutes with you, um, so I just want to ask you one more question we can touch on a little, and then I'll give you a chance to give your final thoughts, and then I, I'll let you go on to your next thing. Um, there are some major rifts, and we kind of touched on this a little bit in the in Libertarian Party, between capitalists and socialists, between anarchists and minarchists, between people who changed their profile pictures to Alex Merced, and people who didn't. Uh, that was apparently a big deal for some reason. Uh, people who were real mad about about that um but so I, I i get that libertarianism is an inherently diverse spectrum of political thought and that naturally creates all these different disagreements um which can at times make it harder to unify and, and definitely to grow the party what are your thoughts on bridging those rifts or, or is that even possible um to be forward with you i don't care okay you know, people. I remember someone once asked me, Larry, you know, what do you think? I need to know, you know, if nat- natural rights and negative rights. I said, I don't care. We are so far away from any of these things. Remember, I live in the belly of the beast. <laughs> I do. No, I, said I, know, again, I know. AOC is my representative. Right. The two people who are the most polarized in this nation right now is Trump and yep. AOC. Yep. They're both from my county. Right? They're both from my county. I live in the belly of the beast. I see what's actually happening. People are talking about Alex Merced pictures. Who gives a shit? Right. We are so far away from a libertarian world. I cannot tell you how far away we are. Right. It's embarrassing how bad we are. If we're all facing in the same direction, which is toward more personal freedom and liberty, towards more uh, less government and more personal control. I'm in. Done. I'm right. in. Right. You are my brother. You are my sister. Period. You are my brother. You are my sister. I can't wait until there's a world or even a na- I'll take a nation. That we're a nation to where I'm the statist. <laughs> can't wait. That would be amazing. Right? That now we're fighting over should we have a military? Right. Awesome. I right. hope we get there. We but we're are not, we're so not even far close. away from that. Right. Yep. We are, it's a, a light years yep. away. We right. are so far from that. Right. So to be forward, all these divisions, in my, in my view, you're asking my view, here's my view. We're just a family who isn't doing well and we're blaming, other, we're blaming each other for it. Why didn't you get a job? Why didn't you get a job? That's what's happening right now. Right. Why don't you go back to school? Why'd you quit? Why'd you do this? That's what we're actually doing right now. But okay. I still look at us as a family. I look at us as a family, and we have family squabbles, and we get mad at each other, but we're still the same family. We're still on the same team. I, I, I don't know how many times people have gotten mad at me and then forgiven me, and they got mad at me again, <laughs> and then forgiven right. me. Because I don't stay mad at these people. I don't. I don't. I had a fight within my own party, right within the New York State Libertarian Party, and now I'm like, we're all good. It's fine. Don't care. So to be forward with you, this is not important to me. I, I don't take a stand any of them. They're all fine. They're all good. I don't care. I'm the guy who takes everybody in. Right, right. Everybody right. in. 
the one thing that I want us to know and to realize as the more hardcore libertarians sometimes get mad at me because the people I bring in are often not very libertarian. And that's true. Guilty as charged. I accept that. And I'm happy about that. Most people come to our party not because they're libertarians. They come because they're unhappy with their current party. With their other options, right, right. So they're almost never good libertarians. Sometimes, but almost never. So the hardcore people have two choices. Option number one. They're not libertarian enough. Get them out. I hate them. That's option one. I hate that option. Or option two is, thank you, Larry, for bringing us new recruits. Right. We will now begin the training process. Right, exactly. Right? Now let's get to work. Well, let's would now be like, get to work so the when training were, process. When, they took, when you went to the Marines, you didn't go there as a Marine. Like, you weren't ready to, yeah. They, they turned not you into one. Right. Yes. So I would rather the hardcore guys soften themselves a bit, be the elder statesman that I need them to be. Right. And when I bring in the new recruits, train them. It will take time. Yep. It may take years. It may take months. For some, it'll take a couple of weeks. For some, it'll take many years. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But the hardcore guys know more about libertarianism than I do. Right. Right? Right. So why aren't they teaching? Why aren't they training? Stop being so mad. And instead, I'm giving you recruits. Right, right. Be happy I'm giving them to you. Right. Now train them. No. That's why I'm not training them. I'm bringing them in. Yep. Right? I'm, You're I'm a recruiter. The You're the recruiter. Front. You're the yes, recruiter. I'm the barker yep. I'm the recruiter. Come on in, guys. It's going to be great. Look how awesome this is. Come on in. And then they come in and you guys go, you suck. Get out. <laughs> Why are you doing that? Stop. Say thank you, Larry. Right. Appreciate your work. We got it now. We got Good you. Good stuff. Good stuff. That's what Good I would stuff. like. Good stuff. So thank you again. I know I know we're, we're running over our time. I just want to give you a chance uh, to give any final thoughts that you have, anything you want to plug, anything you got upcoming. Uh, Larry Sharp, the floor is yours. Yes. Uh, just so you guys know, please go to LarrySharp.com to see my policy page. Head to LarrySharp, Libertarian is my Facebook page. LarrySharp, Instagram and Twitter. I'm still going out doing things. I'm still raising money. If you like what I'm doing, if you want me to keep going out there and recruiting for you, if you still think that's a good idea, you have to support me. Because when I'm out there, I travel. That's money I got to spend. And I use the campaign money to do that, to bring more people to the party, to grow New York State, to grow the nation. I'm going to be in California at their event, at their convention this year. Going to be in Pennsylvania at their convention this year. I think I'm going to Jersey too. I'm doing New York's office. I'm doing New York's uh, convention this year. So there's going to be many conventions, speaking, talking, go-living, traveling. Help me out. Support. Five bucks a month is good. A hundred bucks is better. But <laughs> five bucks, 20 bucks a month is fine. Whatever little bit you can give. If you don't like what I'm doing, don't support me. I got it. If you like what I'm doing, you got to support me because remember, I'm a consultant. I don't get paid when I'm, not, when I'm not working. So when I'm out doing libertarian stuff, I'm just losing money. Right. So support me, lottershop.com, give what you can give, and I'll keep rocking and rolling. Cool stuff. And we will have those uh, links in the show notes. So, Larry, thank you again for coming on. Stick around with me for a second. I'm going to talk to you real quickly before uh, during the outro. Guys, thank you again for joining us uh, on My Fellow Americans. Uh, had a great time. I hope you did, too, as well. And uh, tune in uh, tomorrow night uh, for the writer's block. And uh, I do not remember. 
I need to start remembering who Matt's guest is. I do not remember who Matt's guest is, but you won't believe who it is. It's amazing. Uh, tune in next Tuesday uh, for the Muddy Waters of Freedom, where Matt and I will be uh, will be parsing through the week's news. And then tune in again next week, Wednesday, uh, for my fellow Americans, I will have on Jake Dorsch. And uh, guys, again, thank you so much for joining us, and God bless you.